this is Sean, Development Rescue, and SeaTac. So we have Brennan Hartford and Mark Anderson. Hey, everyone. In, in town. Greetings. For the SeaTac uh, meeting that's coming up on Monday, the first uh, kind of day of the SOMA conference in Charlotte. So we are going to address some stuff on this podcast, and then we're going to hit another one probably a week after the committee meeting just to kind of update everybody on the minutes and give some fidelity on what those minutes mean and what was discussed and some of the talking points that that came up. So we're going to hit it off with Mark Anderson who's out in the northwest area of the uh, United States where coffee's a big thing, grunge music and various we're, drug addictions that have unfortunately in, taken some of our recent in, great yeah, artists. We're, Chris we're Cornell, in, man, you guys got to be Yeah, and morning from Chris Cornell. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it goes out to Soundgarden on this one. And then, obviously, Brennan from the uh, Midwest, large department, law enforcement. So, uh, Mark's going to hit up on what the topics are that we're going to go over. We'll kind of discuss some of those points and then uh, kind of finish up with some of the questions that we got from uh, emails and texts on some things that uh, people were inquiring about. So, Mr. Anderson, have at it. So, since the beginning, uh, CTEC has had two meetings a year. One of them has always been attached to the Special Operations Medical Association's annual medical conference, uh, which for many years was in Tampa, Florida in the early winter and has over the last couple of years been in lovely Charlotte in May. So this is the biannual spring, still officially spring meeting of CTEC. Uh, it's a one-day meeting. Uh, for anybody listening, these are always open meetings. This, this committee is all about active participation from all stakeholders. So uh, if you go to the website, we try and uh, get uh, meeting information up so that uh, you can plan for it and you can get here. You can just expect that uh, every year at SOMA, CTEC will be conducting uh, its biennial spring meeting and uh, you can get on board. So uh, this coming Monday, we're going to have the biennial meeting and um, can be kicked off by uh, some folks from the Charlotte Fire Department, uh, Chief from Charlotte Fire. Uh, Charlotte has always been good to SeaTech. They've always been active members, very supportive right from the get-go, uh, which we appreciate. Uh, board of Directors are going to give an update to uh, the Assembly as to a general business of the committee. That's going to be led off, and, and you know, for the most part, uh, the, the entire meeting is going to be emceed by uh, Co-Chair Dr. Reed Smith. Uh, founding co-chair and um, Dr. Nelson Tang is also probably going to be uh, his, his, his Nelson kind of reads straight man pretty much like yeah the, uh, the yeah Abbott and Costello, the, the Abbott and Costello which yeah. one it's a good is cop bad cop yeah good it's pretty obvious that, uh, yeah. which one's bad cop yeah <laughs> whoever drops those f-bombs is did we say we officially don't speak for the committee yeah so project? yeah I guess did, this is a good point to that? say that uh, this actually isn't an official CTEC uh, movement out there, uh, unrehearsed and uh, unchoreographed. So this is just the opinion of three people that have been on the committee from the emergence in 2011, currently still on it. But uh, don't take this as the official <laughs> spokesman of uh, CTEC. Is that good right. enough? Is that a fair enough? Fair, fair enough. enough. So made our uh, Dr. Smith will probably be walking us through the board of directors update, just the business of the committee. Uh, after which there's going to be a case review of uh, a school shooting incident that happened right here in South Carolina, nearby uh, where we happen to be sitting in the man cave in uh, Element Rescue Central. Uh, take it away, like uh, Mr. McKay, because I think you're, you're leading the discussion on this case review, right? 
yeah, the what we're doing is with Townville, and it's not necessarily going through and the minutia of the event. I think there's some really good principles that can be addressed on there that would be learning points and things that people should should understand and realize for their own community. So we're just going to basically touch on some of the surrounding information, response uh, to what it was in a little bit of a rural area and kind of help guide people on, on that event. Unfortunately, uh, six-year-old Jacob was the fatality on that one. But uh, there's a lot of other surrounding factors in there that uh, should probably people should be aware of that there's some good learning points on. So we sat down with Reed and came up with some bullet points on some take-home lessons on that one. So that one's still a lot of investigation going on to that. So we're not going to get into that portion in the in the AAR of it. Okay, so uh, some time talking about that particular case review. Uh, after a break, we've got a long standing guest of the committee that is actually a serving member of our board of advisors uh, a gentleman named daryl stroud who recently retired from the london fire brigade he was the borough commander of the westminster borough uh, right in the heart of central london where uh, uh, parliament is and uh, daryl is got uh, just a ton of experience in a city that has faced an enormous terrorism threat and uh, a number of major incidents and Daryl's going to be talking primarily about uh, the recent ramming attack in Westminster. The, um, uh, the guy who uh, ran across Westminster Bridge uh, towards the Houses of Parliament, uh, uh, just ran down a bunch of people on the bridge, jammed his vehicle into uh, a fence, um, made entry into the, the Parliament compound itself, uh, threatening security forces there, and ended up getting shot. So. Uh, that's going to be interesting, and not only just in general, uh, because we love to hear Daryl talk, because anybody with a British accent sounds smart, right? They do. But this is a thing that uh, is a huge concern for me personally, where I work, is uh, ramming attacks. Probably not a terrorist attack, terrorist attack, but uh, the recent event just a couple of days ago in New York City, Times Square, where uh, a guy goes into a crowd uh, in Times Square, kills somebody, injures 22, and I know in my jurisdiction we have... Uh, public mass gatherings and uh, the whole uh, problem of figuring out how to allow easy public access, ingress and egress into a space uh, while defending that space against vehicles uh, is a whole... Very difficult. Yeah, how simple Ridiculous. is it to put a, a, yeah. an SUV into a crowd of people? Not a lot of training or... Even if you put a bullards, uh, not having the right bullard system to... Uh, protect folks not having it deep enough to actually stop a vehicle or uh, the appropriately sized vehicle anyway it's going to be really interesting to hear what uh, they're doing in london uh, not only basic based on that particular uh, incident but uh, i'm sure it'll spark some discussion for uh, not only how we as a society here in this country uh, defend our people from that type of attack but what sort of injury patterns we're going to see you know, uh, when we think of terrorism attack we've been fixated on uh, firearms and uh, explosives and, uh, you know, a lot of people on the committee in recent, very recent years have been worried about fire as a weapon, and now we're having to work in uh, a, an MCI with a lot of blood force injury. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, not something that's necessarily focused on by the various tactical care guidelines that are out there is uh, what are the implications of major blood force injury in this type of MCI. Mm -hmm. Uh, anyway, so after that uh, case review, uh, we're going to transition into a discussion uh, with some representatives from the Board of Critical Care, uh, excuse me, Board for Critical Care Tr Transport Paramedic Certification. 
Uh, and uh, they have reached out to the committee. We'll be talking to the membership about input for their certified tactical paramedic uh, testing process. So we're going to find what, out what that's about, what they uh, would like from us, how we can improve their process, and uh, make that a useful thing. Is it a useful thing? I yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll hear the brief. I don't know any enormous amount about it. Yeah, I don't have an enormous amount about it. I mean, not my area. Not, there's, I don't even know if there's anybody from Illinois that's taken it. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely we'll, we'll find have, make that a talking point on and the we'll next report podcast. Back. Uh, after which, uh, we're going to go into a briefing uh, with the uh, ASTM Tourniquet Standard Project, which is an initiative from the National Institute of Standards and Technology uh, at the U.S. Department of Commerce. Uh, from the Standards Coordination Office, uh, a small working group has been put together uh, of subject matter experts and stakeholders to talk about whether and how there needs to be an official standard uh, for how... Very well put, Mark. You like that? You like that? Official standard, <laughs> official standard for the Standard Committee uh, <laughs> for limb tourniquets. You know, uh, we have been so dependent on uh, data generated from the U.S. Department of Defense and the use of uh, limb tourniquets in uh, wartime on a wartime military population. And uh, there have been a lot of applications since tourniquets were widely deployed here in the civilian world. Uh, but gathering that data is a little tough. It's not as easy when you, uh, as, as the, uh, the ability of the joint trauma system to gather data. Uh, but what has clearly emerged is the need to really clarify for people what the hell a limb tourniquet ought to be versus some of the snake oil that's out there uh, yeah they're, being, they're, being marketed as tourniquets. I think this is going to be a good one um, I, and so we, a couple of us are, are on that and, and sit on that I think all of us have, have an involvement on it but Mark and I have been uh, on those phone conversations as we're talking about that as, as quite a few of our colleagues out there and I think this will be good um, I, I think a lot of the, the precipitating factors of that has been Really, what we talked about, we did, we did uh, I did a couple of talks with uh, Brent Burr on his Medic 101 podcast where we kind of discussed this a little bit, but I didn't really bring the the official ASTM tourniquet standard uh, committees up that's going on right now just uh, because it was really evolving when we did those podcasts, but kind of alluded to certain tourniquets and things like that. But uh, as far as that testing goes, I think it needs to be out there. Uh, I think all of us can speak on a lot of people that come yeah. to CTEC meetings. Uh, that have emailed us, emailed other members of the uh, guidelines committee, board of directors, executive committee, where they've run into issues where they wanted a specific tourniquet and their purchasing people ordered something else because of a cost savings or they found something that they thought was a better deal, same thing, but it's on Amazon and ended up not being the same thing. The problem is going to come in and uh, I've talked to uh, a bunch of folks you know, from, from various groups of, of tourniquet, I guess, vendors if you will where they've run into a bunch of issues too uh, running into this problem to where even if we get a certificate or there's a mark on one of these things the counterfeiting that's been going on in and China what, and things like this are yep. going to copy that so I don't really know what that end goal can be to where okay yeah you got an ASTM type thing which I think is needed I think there needs to be something to where people can go in but at that same point I, I don't know how you're going to really enforce that because I don't think ASTM is really enforcing body at all 
to where they'll go on to Amazon and be like, oh, look, they, they say this is a cat or they say mm -hmm. this is a soft tea and uh, then go in and order them and realize they're, they're counterfeits uh, from wherever. Right. Um, I don't think they're in the business of enforcement. They're in the business of certification. Right. And if you have all these counterfeits out there that specialize in complete counterfeiting, then I, I don't know, man. It's going to be an interesting discussion, and uh, being involved along with Sean in, in this working group so far has been an eye-opener for me because I am learning that some of the data that I have just taken as gospel uh, may not be as rock-solid as I thought it was. <laughs> and I know that's being kind of cryptic right now, but we're going to have to wait until this discussion happens. And uh, the, the people that are running this, this effort uh, figure out how they want to approach this, but... Um, Man, I'm here to tell you, as, a, as an end user and as a stakeholder, some of the, the numbers out there may not be quite what you think that they were in terms of how, how uh, existing commercial limb tourniquets um, claim effectiveness and safety. Uh, certainly, I think effectiveness is probably the, more, uh, the, the issue that's more at, uh, uh, that needs to be proven. I think from to, to caveat on that too is is not to decrease your confidence in some of those things is we can you can go into a lot of military data right now and really see two specific tourniquets that have a lot of operational success mm -hmm. um, that are out there but at the same time that is in a very specific special population of, of people and when we take that and try and bring that into the the civilian world which is what ASTM is looking at which is what CTEC is is focused on we have a much broader population so you know to bring up the event that we're doing AAs on so we have it let's say we have a six-year-old at you know Townville mm -hmm. uh, Elementary who's in, in Jacob you, know, you can pull up Jacob from Townville and and see he's a, he's a small little kid mm -hmm. and uh, you look at that limb circumference and then you take that up to let's say a very large uh, overweight you know, geriatric or something Why like that. Why the hell are you pointing at me? I, was, I wasn't. You were just on my right side, and I looked at that. Uh, you look fit. You look fit, I think. Really? Pretty much. He's looking, Mark looks fit, I think. For, for like on, maybe the radio, on the radio, I look fit. Maybe you look yeah, your, your voice sounds thinning. And, um, I don't but, know. He's not the one eating that baked Alaska right now, Sean. Yeah, that's a joke. Uh, the dude can throw some food. Uh, but at the same it's time, we, we have such a, a wide variance in our population, right? Where we don't We don't see the obese person in the military doing uh, active missions, and mm -hmm. we also don't see the six-year-old, but at the same time, that's our population potentially of an active shooter at any given time. So I, I think there, there's a lot of potential that's gonna cause uh, a little disruption for how we're, gonna, how we're gonna look at this. And so I think Alan's gonna be brief in that a little bit, and we'll, we'll get back to you on. That would be on, Alan Hester you just mentioned, right? I did, Alan, Alan Hester, Alan the, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, former third group history professor uh yeah so uh at that same time i think that uh, uh it'll be interesting it'll be an interesting discussion point and i think it's something we should all kind of keep in time of, of what that's going to look like what that data is going to look like and how are you going to really test that efficiency because they don't really make a, a leg model that's going to going to be accurate to to be able to do that that's going to hit those extremes and you know do we go to doppler do we do what right. and and how do we adjust for those variances so so more to come on that, uh, but that's going to be fascinating. Um, I think Brendan had something to say. Did, did you have something to say? Well, I just think it's I think it's important, it's, and you guys kind of both both mentioned it that it's needed for the civilian world to, to do our, our our own testing, and I think it kind of goes hand in hand uh, with that paper read 
published last year on wounding patterns and active shooter incidents. Yeah. You know, start gathering our own data, and because it may be different, it may not be different, but. And I think we need gonna, to answer that question. I think we're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, I think at some point we're, we have first care provider down that we're going to talk about. I know it's one of the questions that we have That's that we're right. going to talk okay. a little bit about Reed's paper. But at the same time, I think it's important to say that no matter what we're talking about, even though we may not see the relevance of large-scale tourniquet utilization in civilian active shooter events like we see in the military, mm-hmm. and we'll discuss those here in a second, but what we do see is an enormous amount of tourniquet applications from EMS and specifically law enforcement for car accidents, dog bites. I mean, the saves when we get those in are pretty astounding. You know, look to Dallas, look to Philadelphia, look to New York, right. and you're going to see some unbelievable from, uh, there's that video of the, the guy getting his leg run over when the truck made a hard turn in New York, and uh, they had a great save with the tourniquet on that. Mm-hmm. But we, we see a lot of the tourniquet saves that are out there are not predominantly gunshot wounds, right? right? It's it's those cops that have tourniquets, the EMS has tourniquets, fire, uh, that's putting them on for like the dog bites. Even here in, in South Carolina, there's Last a pretty good one. Last application I was involved with was a dude just put, me off put just it like that. He did. Totally like did. a punk, man. Yeah, that's Seattle totally for did. you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely did. Heroin, drugs, and Chipper coffee. shredder, chipper shredder. Dude who had his hand hauled into a chipper shredder and ground down. On purpose, about, uh, like about, Fargo? <laughs> I don't think anybody put his hand into the chipper shredder. Thank God. As I say, but, he, owned, uh, he owned somebody from Seattle. Yeah, key key, uh, key yeah. teaching point there was the application of a limb tourniquet on a traumatic amputation that may not actively be bleeding, which in that case it wasn't, but uh, initially responding crews recognized uh, the need and they put uh, a limb tourniquet on just above uh, the level of the amputation. And uh, you know, the guy had a good outcome, but uh, uh, it ain't all about penetrating trauma from firearms mm-hmm. uh, these tools can be used for a lot of things but we're, we're going to get uh i think some really interesting results from this tourniquet standard not only discussion on monday but uh the effort here and everybody who's got a stake in this should pay attention to this discussion because i think it's going to open your eyes as to uh, uh what really constitute effective testing on uh what what works and what doesn't work so so immediately after that uh we we segue nicely into what will be the highlight of our meeting and i say that because uh, i i will be the one leading that particular 20 minute discussion <laughs> i'll probably be sleeping will you, will you bathroom break potty break yeah. potty, potty. potty break everybody <laughs> actually it's pretty cool it's uh, uh international tecc outreach oh, that's cool, and right. we've, we've got some um guests uh of the committee uh and some active committee members uh who are from far away exotic places like canada uh, <laughs> I've heard of such a land. Uh, such such, such an odd and strange and polite land. Uh, uh, Dr. Eric Vu is uh, the medical director for the Vancouver, British Columbia Fire and Police Departments, and he's a member of our guidelines committee. He's going to be uh, uh, giving a brief on uh, efforts to uh, widely deploy TECC guidelines in the civilian emergency responder world uh, in Canada. Uh, as well as we've got uh, a couple of other people we know are attending the meeting and will be participating in this discussion. Uh, Dr. Florent Jossa, I think I've got the German pronunciation. Common, that's common jo- spelling. Jossa, Jossa. Um, uh, Florent is actually a uh, trauma anesthesiologist who works for the German Army and uh, uh, is a longtime participant in SOMA. He runs an equivalent uh, conference, medical conference that's conducted in southern Germany every two years, which is just a uh, big, fantastic, I was fortunate enough to go last year, uh, uh, conference 
but uh, he's going to be talking about uh, a TECC in Germany specifically and his perspectives on uh, the employment of such guidelines uh, in, on the European continent. So uh, that's going to be cool, and, and there are some weird aspects to uh, Europe and the deployment of TECC there because I think uh, in most cases we find that uh, there is a lot more integration of military and civilian agencies in Europe than there is in the United States, mm -hmm. clearly. Uh, so you've got, for example, Dr. Josa is uh, an Army doc, but uh, he works in a trauma center that serves a civilian population. They've got helicopters that uh, cover a, a wide region. They've got uh, ground ambulances and crews that uh, serve the general population. So uh, it's going to be interesting to hear what the kind of the mix is between military medics that may be utilizing TC3 guidelines when they're deployed taking care of soldiers, and then they need to mentally make the switch to TECC guidelines or similar guidelines uh, when they're working with a civilian population. So that's going to be cool. Uh, we've also <clears throat> got a, uh, a trauma surgeon uh, named David Chu from Singapore. Uh, who works closely with the Singaporean government and uh, armed forces, who's going to be talking about the uh, same sort of issues there, how, uh, how they have deployed these types of trauma care guidelines, not only in their military community, but how they have worked to translate them into their civilian population. And we're looking at opportunities for partnership and outreach. So we learn from them, they learn from us, and we share the effort. And uh, uh, all the three physicians that I just mentioned are... Uh, two surgeons and a physician uh, are, are excited about the possibilities of partnering uh, with the Committee for Tactical Emergency Casualty Care and figuring out how to uh, up their game. So uh, we're looking forward to that conversation. Uh, after that, we switch into some discussion about uh, First Care Provider Initiative, uh, which is kind of a subset of uh, the, the tech initiative. Uh, it's been done in a lot of places under some different names under some different programs, but uh, the gist of it is, you know, we need to, to deploy some force multipliers, right? You know, we need to get the citizens out there uh, taking care of problems over the first five minutes while uh, somebody calls 911 and emergency responders get to uh, the incident site. So uh, specifically, the update's going to be about uh, an ongoing effort in California. Uh, Sean, I think you know more about this than I do, but uh, there's uh, an assembly bill in the California Assembly, uh, Assembly Bill 909. That uh, so, uh, as far as I know, this may be the first statewide initiative uh, uh, along these lines. But that is to mandate the deployment of public access trauma kits in certain types of public assembly buildings. Yeah, and and I think a lot of props go out to Ofer, who's on the CTEC committee, also. Who, uh, Ofer Lickman. Ofer Lickman, common spelling. Um, from Rancho Cucamonga. From Rancho Cucamonga. I love that yeah. name. I do Rancho too, man. Cucamonga. I love saying it. Sounds, sounds like, like a Mexican dish. I, I was I just going to say. It sounds like something from a Bugs Bunny cartoon. So <laughs> I work at Retro Cucamonga. <laughs> so that was Mark Anderson for those. Sorry, Ofer. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love you, Ofer. So I will say this about. Uh, it's a square away fire department. They are. And that's what I was going to say is, is when you look at that West Coast, Rancho has taken a flipping enormous lead, and we should probably do a podcast with Ofer and that'd be a good podcast yeah I think I'm actually we're, I'm leaving Soma from Rancho Cucamonga yes I'm leaving and uh, I'm presenting in Palm Springs on Wednesday of next week and then Thursday I'm linking up with Ofer and their tech rescue chief looking at doing some 
some high angle stuff uh, up in their area, man, which would be cool. So I may take that time and try and do a podcast with with him while we're out there, That's just because idea. of what they their initiative has, and they are just an extremely progressive. Yep. Um, took the bull by the horns, I think, linked up with some of the Arlington Posse on the Rescue Task Force and basically yeah. adopted it to make it fit their needs that they found out there. But I will tell you, um, there's some links that, uh, when we talk to Ofer, we'll put a bunch of links on there to some of the TV stuff that they've been doing and the press coverage that they've been getting. Uh, but they've taken just an incredible role of integration between their law enforcement, fire, EMS, uh, in hospital systems, put together some Unbelievable training for the first responders uh, have integrated rescue task force at a at a level, I think most people would dream of, of getting to. Probably, um, I mean, like you mentioned, they 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 teamed up with Arlington. Probably the only ones that I know that that do it as good or better is Arlington. Mm-hmm. The numbers. Yeah, I mean, the, and and it's not the same thing, right? Because right. every municipality is different, but they've adopted what they need to um, to the point where even the incident command. They've got some positions in there, so they've gotten over the issues of the instant command issues of an active shooter where who's going to take command here when everybody's going in, and, and they right. created new subsets into it. So they've done some phenomenal work, man. And that's kind of what I mean, from a, from a not from an actual specific tactic technique perspective, but from their overall adoption and, and buy-in from it from their from all of their agencies yeah, from everybody yeah. and and then they've taken it that next step and and ripped it out into first care providers yeah so um i know that that rancho has taken just a huge role uh and over and some of his colleagues there have have really taken a lead in doing the first care provider getting it out to yeah. uh the public yeah. uh, who really needs it kind of following that old 70s 80s uh american heart cpr type of thing and and realizing that those people are going to make the biggest difference yep. and they've gotten some good press coverage on some of the stuff that they've done and i think the origin of that was actually i think one of the representatives or councilmen or whatever um that that sit in uh uh, the political uh, position to make a change uh, actually took one of Ofer's classes, and I think that's oh. behind the 909 thing. It's their area code, or it's part of their zip code, or whatever. But uh, and it's taken a huge lead. He was that impressed with what that was, believed in it, and then started to to make this push into it uh, to be able to get these first care providers uh, following those guidelines in. So. Cool. I think specifically to, to the they're talking there. about public access trauma kit deployment, which is you know a critical component. Mm-hmm. All well, of you uh, that are that are actively doing public outreach and doing trauma first aid or some variant, whatever name you're using for it, but getting your uh, your citizens involved in this sort of stuff, um, you can teach people what they need to do. You probably ought to, in my opinion, be teaching them improvisational techniques in case they're they don't happen to have gear on them or they don't have stuff handy. Townville. But uh, yeah, like in town, but certainly. Uh, uh, if you have high-risk occupancies, places where large numbers of people gather, or uh, you know they're inherently considered high-risk, like courthouses or whatnot, uh, having a trauma first aid kit in a cabinet on a wall, just like an AED, is probably a good idea. Uh, so, you know, next time uh, those of you are listening, this next time you're wandering through an airport, uh, that we happen to know a couple of companies that are in this business that uh, have done an effective job of uh, putting their uh, public trauma first aid kits uh, out into these spaces and uh, pay attention uh, pay attention to your surroundings and you look at those cabinets and it may not be an AED in there, it may be a, a trauma first mm-hmm. aid kit and uh, once you are tuned into that, now you know if something happens at the uh, the security checkpoint at the airport and, and you know if necessary you can get to that wall 
you can get a kit down you can get the gear out that you need to to save lives so i think that's pretty cool and uh you know i'm tired of talking about Ofra. i want to talk about me some more yeah mark yeah, is yeah. kind of yeah. self promoting at times exactly so, so go ahead and hit that man. well well coming from uh, <laughs> uh I'll, I'll throw the the s word out the seattle metro area uh, we do a pretty good job with uh, out of hospital uh, cardiac arrest in uh, seattle in the metro area there and uh as much as i would like to think it's because of medics like me it sure is, it sure is hell ain't. Yeah, thank you. So sorry. It's, it's, it's because citizens uh, up there are willing to take CPR training and they're willing to actually engage with helping another citizen out. Uh, and it is uh, the, the very, very, very rare circumstance where we roll up on an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest where there's not at least a couple people who are actively engaged in helping that, that down citizen. So... Man, the more any of us can work in our communities to uh, work with your fire departments that already have CPR programs, that's what I'm heavily involved in right now, is, is trying to build a parallel program that teaches trauma first aid, first care provider, um, you know, same, same model that we're using for uh, public CPR training. Uh, go at it hard. There, there's just so, it's such fertile ground for uh, uh, doing good for the, the people we work for. And also, you know, at the same time, look into some of your local other assets that, that may be in there that you're just not aware of. I can tell you that some of the marshals, um, especially a lot of the guys that, that were uh, involved with uh, the SOG group and things like that, uh, in their area courthouses have already instituted a lot of these things. I know in Kentucky there's some great movements and some movements. So find out, you know, what's going on locally also that, that maybe the marshals heading that up and, and mm -hmm. see if you can't team up and, and gain some assets. Yeah. So believe it or not, that's all before lunch so <laughs> that's yeah, you're, you're still talking yeah, I'm still talking say, okay, I'm still yeah, talking I'm so uh, yeah, yeah we're gonna uh, we're gonna try and hit all those subjects before we get to lunch uh, after lunch we come back working group updates uh, we won't dwell on this but SeaTech uh, uh, over the years has created working groups to try and think through special situations try and come up with solutions to offer up to uh, our stakeholders and there's uh, there's a number of working groups that exist some of them, uh, we've already kind of taken whatever steps we were going to take, and those working groups are kind of dormant until the need arises again. But some of them are new, emerging things. So reading through a quick list, there's uh, you know, the implications of TECC and command and control, so incident command issues. Uh, we had a rescue and casualty collection point working group that uh, is going to be split, and there's going to be two primary, uh, uh, there's going to be two groups that are focusing specifically on those two subjects and the illustrious Mr. McKay to my left here uh, is going to be heading up those efforts. Any comments on that one? Yeah, we talked about them a bunch and I'd say if you have an interest in them, we kind of talked about them ad nauseum with Brent Burr on his Medic 101 podcast uh, that's on iTunes and yeah, I think we, we originally looked at it as a whole like okay, let's manage a CCP and let's get people out. What we realize is there's a huge operational gap from one coast to another that exists in and even down to terminology that's mm -hmm. setting the brakes into organizations where fire department, law enforcement, EMS isn't agreeing on, you know, can, can you call the CCP if it's inside? It's, I thought it had to be outside. You know, they're looking at MBCs as the example, which an MBC CCP is not what you're initiating in an active shooter type of event. Uh, it's a real different mindset as is everything else. So non-complicated, so what we're working on is, is basically just focusing on the principles, realizing that we don't work in the area that you work in. So if we 
kind of put forth those principles that need to be hit on, then you figure out the practices on how to obtain uh, and template operational success in those environments. So um, we're, we're trying to really build it down so it's a very easy component to where, you know, there's certain principles that no matter how big of an agency you are or how little of an agency you are, how rural you are, what kind of assets you have, those principles need to be checked off when you're looking at, at choosing, selecting a CCP, managing it, and evacuating. So we broke it out into its own domain, if you will, and then we hit on the evacuation of casualties from those events, whether it is from a CCP or it's evacuation from people that have run out to you like the aurora type of thing and mm -hmm. and how we can move those folks uh so we we broke those up into two things so it's a little bit more bite-sized i guess so a couple of the working groups we've had for a while uh include things like triage in tecc situations high threat situations which boil down to you're green you're red or you're dead for the most part um you know ppe specifically talking about cbrn um, uh, environments and how how can tecc be employed in those types of hazmat uh, situations, Cambio uh, uh, situations, of course, uh, TXA, tranexamic acid, uh, uh, they, uh, the use of tranexamic, tranexamic acid, TXA. TXA. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> hence the uh, the easy to remember uh, acronym is uh, already exists in our guidelines. Uh, so. Um, you know, that's one of those things where we're going to monitor. That's the function of these working groups is to monitor emerging information. So I know that there's a huge pre-hospital study that's uh, going on, the patch study in Australia. And a lot of key uh, people around the country are waiting to see how that comes out. A first world uh, pre-hospital emergency medical care system that is really similar to what we do in the United States and seeing what their, their outcomes are like. So uh, we will be monitoring the TXA situation. And, and try and weigh in and encourage people to get on board if, if that's where the data leads us. One thing, one thing I'll totally interrupt you uh, since you've interrupted us a few times. Um, so multiple times where Brennan was going to talk and you kept going, but um, that's I don't remember that, interrupting you. That's all. I, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. So when we look at sure that, it was me that interrupted I'm you. Pretty sure. And so uh, when we're looking at this, uh, one thing is is if you want to be involved in any of these working groups, you don't have to be a member of the committees, uh, the committee to to be part of that. So definitely email the mm -hmm. committee with any Absolutely. interest that you have on any of these um, and if you have questions about where some of the stuff came from for instance TXA you'd be able to talk on that um, uh, Dr. Shirts, Mike Shirts from Oregon is he? He's in Oregon? Oregon. 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 We're, we're in the man cave in the Carolinas and they apparently they don't understand how things are pronounced in the Pacific Northwest but Oregon yeah Mike Mike Shirts, former 18 Delta really no uh, emergency force, doc yeah. in Portland uh, metro area uh, who is our uh, our lead guy on TXA efforts, so. It's not Portland. Okay, screw all of you. You guys seem like you're just a different country out there. You're really close for the whole thing with California, so that's cool. That's right, that's right. Um, Curriculum right. validation. Oh. That's, oh, oh that's, a, uh, uh, that's a significant working group in that uh, um, uh, those of you who are interested in this subject, TECC, may have run across people, organizations posting on the internet uh, making claims, posting uh, the the TECC logo, saying they they are the the organization that is authorized to teach uh, tactical emergency casualty care. Um, that that ain't the case. Uh, I think disagree? Flavor Flav said it best, man. Like public enemy, don't believe the hype. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Good again, analogy, uh, you, man. Th this committee was gangster rap. This committee was all about 
making these guidelines freely available. We want to do good for people. And uh, if an organization wants to teach TEC, awesome. If, um, if they want to use the committee's horsepower to help them with their product, uh, there's a way that they have to do that. So there is a red recognized educational content logo uh, that looks a lot like the, the committee logo, but it's not green. It's red. <laughs> and it says recognized educational content. And what that means is that an organization that teaches uh, TECC that wants to, to use that in their marketing, uh, they need to, to agree uh, to certain things. So, uh, man, we, uh, we just encourage you to... Uh, be careful when you're reaching out there to trainers. Understand what you're getting. Ask uh, ask some questions. And, and also, uh, if you're a training facility, whether you're a private training company or you uh, work with a technical college or anything like that, and you have a history of educating students and want to teach TECC, then contact the committee on TECC directly, uh, and we can get you that information. Cool. Uh, we, we got working groups working on uh, standard training and briefing slide decks for those people who don't want to build their own. Uh, we, that's a recognized uh, need that's out there. People have asked us about that in the past. And uh, while for the most part, uh, we have very deliberately avoided creating curriculum, we realize that there's some people who maybe don't have the bandwidth or uh, they feel like they've got the expertise, even though they, they probably do. But, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to help people out. So... Uh, there are efforts underway to try and create kind of a, a generic baseline TECC slide deck and outline for a course to help people get things jump started. So, and, and along the same line too, um, there was a guideline change that we decided to do. So even though you go to our website right now and it has one full guidelines on there, we did break the guidelines up. Those are being put out now, and which brings us to one of the questions that's coming up, and we'll address that when it does. But just realize that there is a multiple guidelines now so it's not just one big guidelines where the instructors or whoever uh, needs to hide or, or add slides on depending on their audience so we have a first care provider we have the first responder with the duty to act we have the ALS BLS and then we'll have the uh, first receiving uh, coming out here soon but we do have the first care provider the first responder duty to act and the ALS BLS as separate guidelines now Correct. that are already broken out, which makes it a little bit easier for for the end user and for any of the instructors out there. And we'll actually have those posted. If you go to Element Rescue, it's on our blog, but we're going to be updating the website for CTEC and all. So we just, as a kind of a, a quick fix, we, we posted those on Element until uh, we get everything back up onto the CTEC website, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But you realize that the curriculum stuff and Mark can be a good one to talk about that since you're on the uh, curriculum guidelines, the, the guideline committees. Um, I think it, it's worked out really well breaking those up. We even have a separate canine that's out that's uh, gaining a bunch of traction. And, uh, and I really think the only one that we really have left to, to knock out is the uh, uh, first receiving. First receiver. Yeah. Yeah, that was just a response to uh, stakeholders who said, hey, can, rather than sifting through and eliminating the stuff that doesn't apply to my particular audience, do me a solid here, uh, like make it, make it focused to my target audience. So, you know that this is an attempt to uh, to help the end users out. So, uh, and of course, we're always open to feedback. If it's not doing it for you, if it's not a, meeting your needs, I, I'm about to say, let us know. How about this? Come to a meeting, get involved, uh, help out, uh, make things better. Yeah, ag ag agreed. And in in. From my own personal standpoint, especially if you're first responder, 
you know, we want that boots on the ground feedback from you guys to, to contribute to these guidelines and to, into the committee to, you know, like Mark said, get you what you need, provide you with the help that you need to do your jobs. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that, you know, a lot of people look at these committees and see doctors and, and medics on there. But I think from our standpoint, anybody that's out there, especially if you don't hold a medical certification of, of an EMT or above, uh, we would love hearing from mm-hmm. you on what is needed. Uh, that's the, I think, the input that's that. Yeah. We, that we, we've got to get that in, input and feedback from the end user. Yeah. There's a science and research working group filled with a bunch of really, really fucking smart people. Who's, like, on, that, who's on that working group? Like Sheldon <laughs> and Leonard? Uh, yeah. No, we, we got some uh, docs who are big into research uh, and, and actually some non-physicians uh, that just sit around and read studies and things like that, but actually understand what the hell they're reading and can recognize the strengths and weaknesses in different studies. So, uh, again, uh, uh, CTEC is all about evidence-based medicine, Be but quality evidence. Data, and, data and, driven, and, data and un- driven. understanding that... Uh, uh, that <laughs> What we have come to accept as evidence may not be what we think it is. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, you know, we, we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to uh, accept information and make good decisions. So uh, uh, without using a bell curve, so without, okay. yeah, avoiding the Gaussian curve. Uh, there's a special populations working group that looks at geriatric patients, that looks at pediatric patients, that looks at patients with special needs, uh, the the type of patient population that. Uh, uh, the, the brilliant success of TC3 doesn't necessarily address the people who have underlying medical pathologies, the people who are anticoagulated. You know, uh, will uh, the, the methods and uh, the materials that you are using in these patient populations translate across? And that's one of the things that we're always trying to pay attention to and ask those questions and, and maybe tee up uh, the, the people who are looking for subjects to do research on and, and getting them to do that research and give us that data. But uh, um, that, that's one of the things that differentiates, the key thing that differentiates, uh, I think, TECC um, probably more so than anything else is the fact that we've got a much broader potential patient population that we've got to take care of uh, to include those, those special populations. Let's see, there's, there's a number of working groups that do kind of business for the committee, uh, you know, looking for grants funding. Uh, oh, by the way, if uh, any of you out there listening to this are sitting on a big pot of money and you're looking for something to do to it, with it. Contact Josh. Please, please, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, please, please contact us. We can, we can use the assistance. Uh, an exciting new working group, for me anyway, because I'm really interested in the subject, is improvisational medicine and rescue. And again, the incomparable, illustrious... Mr. Sean McKay to my left here, I think, will be uh, the driving force behind that and has, has already actually done a considerable amount of research. But Yeah, I think it, we've all gotten into the point where ditch medicine and that type of thing of, of uh, hey, you know, check this out. We can put a tampon in a penetrating wound and it's going to be awesome. Uh, but there was no data to ever validate that. And for a while, that was, you know, in every improv book you can imagine. Uh, so don't do that. Except um, it doesn't work. It. it doesn't work is the only problem with that. And a lot of people come up with these things pulled out of their butt and don't validate anything with, with any science or research or documentation. So we've tried to go upon uh, uh, bringing science into the improv world using, you know, uh, 
simple physiology, physics, and, and patho, uh, and then try and validate that. So that's what we're putting out now. We've done some tourniquet stuff. We've done a lot of research with rescue and improv for evacuation purposes and going through those things like how to manage uh, an airway, uh, sucking wound, uh, something that maybe needs to be decompressed and all on what actually works and putting the science behind that. So that, that's pretty much what we're working on. And the validation of that is, yeah, we, we may have instances like Townville where they didn't have a tourniquet and a nurse had to try and improv a tourniquet on a small kid's leg with a t-shirt, add other things in there and a windlass and something to hold on to that, what works, what doesn't work. I can tell you that a lot of my thoughts going into it and teaching this for a lot of years, that once we started trying to validate that through science, that a lot of things that I thought were critical weren't actually as critical in the success of an improv uh, modality. And those things that we kind of wrote off as, hey, that's an easy one, like, you know, what were we going to use to hold the windlass under pressure actually turns out to be probably one of the more critical aspects of, of success on those. So if you have any interest in that, definitely hit it. But when I look at it, yeah, any of us need to be able to improv uh, if we go into something and, and just have one or two of something, we're probably going to need more of it. So the chances for you to improv even professionally as a responder are there. But if we look at those people that are full-time uh, law enforcement that works UC or anything like that mm -hmm. that is kind of an everyday thing potentially for you to save yourself or a buddy or something like that so and I'm a strong advocate for that uh, if, if you're training your people if, if that's your your gig you, you train your responders whether you're a cop whether you're a fire or EMS guy or whatever if you're not training your people uh, the pace method you got your primary plan you got your commercial limb tourniquets but if you don't have backups if you don't have at least a couple of improvisational techniques that uh, you've told your people, whether it's using a triangular bandage and a pair of trauma shears and some two-inch medical tape uh, to create a limb tourniquet, whether it's using a BP cuff properly uh, to, to create a limb tourniquet, uh, if you don't have a couple of backup plans, uh, you're probably failing your personnel by not training them well. Uh, so that improvisational med rescue stuff is going to be cool, and it's going to actually... Uh, we're going to be able to produce some data uh, behind what works, how well it works. Uh, am I always going to defer to a commercial engineered device with a lot of data behind it? Of course, but I'm not always going to have that stuff with me. Uh, breaching, again, uh, Mr. McKay, uh, you're going to be taking the lead on a uh, breaching working group. I am not. You're not? I, I Who do, is going to be? I will tell you, uh, the Eric Sutherland from uh, down in Florida is and so we've been working together for a while on this so we're just kind of opening this up and uh, one of our buddies Dominic Brigani uh, who teaches with uh, Element quite a bit um, for for the military and all is is phenomenal and so we basically have Eric Sutherland hitting that up who also runs uh, the Tampa Bay Ta TAC Med right. uh, page which is phenomenal a lot yeah. of people from one coast to the well, other are part no. of that if, if you're not part of that definitely hit on that because Eric puts out some incredible information and also does a lot of the medical stuff for ITS. But uh, Eric's, Eric's absolutely phenomenal. I just saw him a couple weeks ago and uh, coming up through here through the Carolinas uh, just because a lot of good Americans like to, to vacation up here versus, um, you know, where Mark's from. Right. And so... Um, you blame him? No, not really. So uh, with that, he's going to do a phenomenal job. We're obviously a part of that working group too. Uh, for those that, that dig... Uh, breaching, uh, realize that the focus is, yeah, absolutely breaching for those instances where there's barricaded instances like we saw with um, uh, Platte Canyon with nickel mines five days later and then six, six months later we had uh, uh, Virginia Tech. 
all issues with accessing a patient uh, with that, but realize access goes beyond that initial, uh, like in the case of Virginia Tech with Cho chaining the three entrances uh, that he had access to. It also goes into the fact that lockdown is such a huge deal. Those teachers are not going to be opening those doors for you, as we saw in Sandy Hook where the badge gets slid under the door and slid back. They're taught <laughs> not to, uh, which means if you're going to make access to any injured people into a lockdown situation or need to evacuate them, that is a breach. You're going to need to be breaching. And then the fact that you may want to be able to breach for a more advantageous egress to evacuate your patients away from where a potential threat is or an unknown area is, that's, a good, that's going to be a breach also. So uh, we're, we're going into a lot of ways that one person can breach and realize that, yeah, we're looking at things like one man breaching uh, with a halligan, which we spent a couple hours doing the other day, uh, playing around with some new techniques. But also, we're not going to expect that every patrol officer out there is going to get the funding to be able to put a, a 30-inch halligan or even a 24-inch halligan into their vehicles. So we're showing techniques of improv even within breaching, right? So uh, how can you breach your, your typical padlocks you find in a school with your tire iron or your ASP? Uh, those things that are readily available. So Crown Victoria at 40 miles an hour. That's it. That's it. Going through a door. Uh, if after, way. after you've... you've uh, identified that uh, it's not a Chechen takeover where they typically will put uh, kids in front of the door. Uh, but, That'd be bad. That'd be embarrassing but, for uh, at the same time, you know, what is, a, what is a mindful way that you can make access very, very quickly into these areas and create a perturbation for the threat? Which is uh, uh, something I think uh, we have not paid enough attention to before you can assess, before you can treat, before you can extract. you got to access. Uh, so. But that doesn't coincide with the threat, no, I believe. No, 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 no. Uh, the international outreach stuff, we're, we're probably going to stand up a working group on that, just trying to build those partnerships, which is really cool because there are a lot of smart people around the world who've been fighting alongside American forces and learning the same lessons we've been learning, paid for in blood from our wounded and dead. Uh, and uh, they've got insight, and, and uh, they've been doing um, studies, and they, they've, they've been solving their own problems. So uh, the more we can work with them, the better off we are. Uh, we've got a canine working group that's really doing some cool stuff. If you're uh, uh, a canine officer and you're not thinking through, I'm sure you are, thinking through how you're going to take care of your partner. Or you, sir, anything uh, yeah, that uses dogs whatsoever. Any kind of working dogs, public safety working dogs. Uh, uh, we have got a partnership with some really cool people uh, that uh, are taking the concept of TECC over to the working dog world. So uh, uh, look at it. Give us a call. But get involved in these working groups. If there's specific applications of TECC that we are not addressing, if there's kind of a uh, subspecialty that uh, is important to you that we are not providing you some guidelines on, let us know. Pitch it. Get involved. Help out. Uh, along with what Mark just hit on to is, is two things is yeah we'll hit up the canine thing and on that there's a couple downloadable things besides their guidelines they also have a, a canine casualty card and mm -hmm. I mean they, they have done a phenomenal professional job at, at hitting on that the other side too is, is we put some breaching series out so for those people that are interested in breaching we started doing a Halligan series and we're gonna work our way through various door and construction types of, of doing that with the Halligan and we've got a couple videos up. If you go to Rescue Craft, 
uh, on their YouTube channel. So go to YouTube, type in Rescue Craft, and there's a playlist for breaching where we started uh, some breaching uh, videos, uh, kind of how to. We're working on doors that come out towards you outward, uh, working through doors that are going inward. Uh, we've also got some stuff coming out here in the next week on various padlock systems and breaching those really quickly. And I think Mark just hit up the uh, the canine uh, website there. So it's a, uh, very intuitive canine.tecc.org. Excellent, excellent website uh, led by a vet, an emergency vet named Lee Palmer, who's been working with the committee for a while. Just uh, an extraordinarily talented and uh, knowledgeable guy and dedicated to taking care of working dogs. So uh, if, if you are an officer and you've got a, a canine partner or if you're a, a search specialist and, and you've got your search dog, uh, man, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your partner to uh, get up to speed on this stuff. Uh, I think that's pretty much it for working groups. Uh, you know, getting back to uh, that's it's going to be a long day. Uh, but then we break into some open guidelines discussion at every one of these meetings. Uh, we are we are looking at ways of improving the product for people. So I know that uh, you know one of the the primary topics here, if I can uh, find it and bring it up real quick, uh, that's going to come up in the open discussions uh, section is you know we're going to be talking about uh, oh, this is an interesting topic uh, chest seals open chest injuries do uh, we we've been taught for years and years and years that we got to seal them do you really need to take an open th pneumothorax and seal it it's it's the uh, the dogma but uh, do you need to uh, we're willing to throw down and uh, challenge established dogma even uh, even stuff that's just come in the last 10 years you know show me show me the evidence and and uh, Let's, let's think it through. Do we really need to be putting something over a hole in somebody's chest that's communicating air in and out? Because as a good friend and a very, very smart uh, uh, physician friend of mine said, uh, the, the sound of air moving in and out through somebody's chest is the sound of them not dying of a tension pneumothorax, uh, which has kind of stuck with me. Uh, there's going to be some discussion about uh, uh, increasing in our guidelines a systolic uh, blood pressure to uh, 100 as a, a, a kind of the driver for how we manage uh, uh, elective hypotension. Um, uh, talk about burn management, uh, the use of water gels and things like mm. that. Uh, uh, especially uh, since a lot of attention has been paid recently uh, about uh, the use of, in, I guess all arson is intentional, right? But uh, uh, mass casualty arson, fire as a weapon, uh, uh, going to a place of mass gathering, trapping people inside and setting the building on fire. There's a guy who comes from the fire-based EMS community who has spent a lot of time worrying about this. Holy crap. Man, I'm looking across the, uh, the table at a cop here, and uh, you know, I can just imagine standing outside a building that's filled with people, uh, and you know, somebody from the fireside's looking at the cops saying, hey, if you'll take care of those bad guys, we'll go put the fire out. And the, 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 this police commander says, hey, you take care of the fire and the smoke, and I'll, we'll go take care of the bad guys. We've had somewhat similar incidents, you know, on a much smaller scale with our SWAT team. You know, you start a house on fire when a bad guy's still in there, what do you do? Right. Yeah, I'll probably talk to Dan about some of the stuff. When we, there's a couple notorious ones out in L.A. there, too, right? Those were on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, I mean, for a very tactical reason. I remember yeah. getting briefed by our commander at the time. Yeah. But, yeah, it's you got to have a plan. Basically. Yeah, if you would look at, at some of the incidents, you know, even you know, fire was used as an air denial technique by the bad guys um, in the Westgate in uh, um, Africa. And, uh, yeah, it's a very easy, very cheap way that 
that uh, doesn't cost a lot of training, doesn't raise any flags mm -hmm. with somebody getting gas and diesel and a match and, and wreaking havoc. So it's right. back to that access thing, you know, uh, right alongside breaching, uh, they, they can deny access to emergency responders to, to, for us to get to our casualties just by making an ideal H environment, right. you know, uh, or, or close to, and, um, you know, now how are we going to deal with it and the, the burn injury patterns that are going to result from that. So, uh, and then, you know, tee it up, uh, open comments. Every time we do this, uh, if, if you have a beef with the way the TECC guidelines are written, come to a meeting, throw the challenge flag, bring your A game because there's some really smart people in the room, uh, but everybody in the room understands that we may not have gotten it right. Uh, there may be emerging information. Uh, there may be stuff that uh, we didn't think about. There may be stuff that uh, we did think about, but it doesn't apply to you. But uh, come to a meeting, throw the red flag, call bullshit, say, hey, uh, what about this? And uh, every time we are willing to look at uh, the treatment guidelines and uh, open our minds up to making them better. So, And that's it. That's going to be a long damn day. That's going to be uh, uh, a beer call shortly after that. But uh, it's a one-day meeting. It is Monday, uh, May 22nd. Uh, it is open. It is in conjunction with the Special Operations Medical Association uh, Scientific Assembly, uh, but you do not have to pay to attend the SOMA conference in order to attend our meeting. We strongly encourage you to because there is just a, a metric shit ton of great, great information to be uh, gleaned mm -hmm. by attending SOMA. But man, uh, um, if you're in the area or you can make a quick couple of hour car ride, if you're uh, within striking distance of Charlotte, come by on uh, um, uh, Monday morning, uh, and, and we'll let you uh, get, get as involved as you want to get. Uh, just, just make it better for everybody.